other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Other side of midnight, I'm Frank Morano. Well, over the last few years, both in the United States and abroad, we have seen a disturbing trend. This trend, unfortunately, has been exacerbated since October 7th, both around the country and around the world, which is there has been an uptick in anti-Semitism. However you measure this, whoever the body doing the measuring is, whatever you consider anti-Semitism to be, Whatever the metric, whatever your barometer, things are heading in the wrong direction. Well, uh, I came across a story recently that I read in Newsweek about a family that is dealing with a pretty overt instance of anti-Semitism. But even if it didn't have anything to do with anti-Semitism, this is a textbook example as to how to not handle things in a school or in any sort of environment dealing with young people. And it just so happens to involve uh, the son of Emmy Award winning producer and director Andrew Goldberg, who is the founder and owner of So Much Film in New York City. And uh, he's executive produced and directed 16 primetime documentary specials for PBS and public television. Very pleased to welcome to the program Andrew Goldberg. Andrew, Happy New Year. You're our first guest of uh, 2024. I am. I am. Well, I mean, I, I, Happy New Year indeed. Yes, I was just I was just realizing I needed to start writing 2024 when I write things down. Happy New Year to everyone. <laughs> yeah, I make that mistake for the first two months. Uh, Andrew, I, I wish we were talking under uh, better circumstances because I followed your career and your work for a long time and I'm a big fan. And if there's time, I'd love to talk about uh, some of the work that you've done, which is relevant to this discussion, actually. But I, I came across this piece that you wrote in Newsweek involving uh, an incident with your son and uh, a friend of his, or at least a boy that he was acquainted with, give us the uh, give us the Reader's Digest version, if you can, of uh, what your son went through at at the, at the school in uh, Connecticut. Sure. So we're in we're in Westport, Connecticut, and we came here. Westport, Connecticut is it's generally a, a, a considered a pretty tolerant, open minded town. You know where people are. I, I wouldn't call it. Uh, you know, I, I would say they're open-minded in their thinking, and and we moved here because of that. There was a, a decent-sized Jewish community, and the schools are considered, you know, to be, you know, some of the better schools. So we got excited about that, and we moved here just 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 a little over two years ago. Um, and what happened was it wasn't just one student; it was a number of students who started to sort of bully my son and taunt my son in a lot of different ways. They were using a lot of different slurs and and language that that we were not at all comfortable with. But it took a much more problematic turn for me when uh, two of the students, one in particular, but then another one sort of joined in, uh, started to really direct uh, some anti-Semitic language at my son. And and out of the blue, the first thing that one of them said completely with no prompting at all was uh, he invited my son to uh, join his camp, Camp Auschwitz, he said. And he said that there was another Jewish student, uh, he used the student's name, who had signed up for this camp and that my son should join because it had great showers. Mm. And, uh, you know, this was, my son did, this was a new friend for my son, and, you know, he didn't really know what to make of it. I think it shocked him a little bit and it scared him, but he, you know, continued the friendship. 
you know, didn't didn't tell it to me at this point. They then were watching uh, the TV show South Park. You know, they watch a lot of things together. And, you know, they're 12. You know, maybe they shouldn't have been watching South Park, but whatever. I mean, I'm not going to police every single thing that they do. But he was over here. The friend was and they were watching South Park. And one of the characters, Cartman, says, we must exterminate the Jews. Well, this friend of uh, of my son or so-called friend started to say to my son with regularity, we must exterminate the Jews. And he said it to him over and over and over and over again. And my son asked him to stop. He wouldn't stop. My son said, we have family members who died in the Holocaust. Do you think it's okay? The friend said, yes. Or I wouldn't call him a friend at this point. The, the, the bully at this point said, yes, it's okay that I say this to you and continued to say it to my to my son, you know, repeatedly. Um, and then uh, somewhere in the process of all of this, he was at one, another student's house and they started shooting him with a squirt gun and saying, shoot the Jew, shoot the Jew. And it was at this point that I, the information all came to, my, to me and I, you know, got involved with the school and, and tried to put a stop to it. So that was sort of the, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the background of what happened. There was a lot of bullying and really nasty behavior that went on. In addition, it was a total of three or four kids that mistreated my son this way, but really one that was really most focused with the anti-Semitism and another one that did some sort of anti-Semitism work as well. So I think a lot of parents and parents who have had a 12-year-old previously, they can relate to a child being bullied, unfortunately. Unfortunately, this is part of what comes with uh, having a 12-year-old. Tell me then what happened with the school when you tried to get the school involved. Well, we went to the school... mm, and we, you know, I, I, I was very upset and I insisted that both the principal of our of our middle school and the superintendent of schools for Westport, I mean, it's not that big of a city, meet us. And they met us. I was, you know, I, I put some pressure on them to meet us right away. And they met with us and they said, well, the first thing that they're going to do is create a safety plan. Now, that on its face sounds very strategic and smart to me. The trouble was the safety plan was that my son could basically leave. So there was a lunch table where my son would sit with some regularity and he was being asked, the the kids there, this is part of the bullying, were voting him off the table or asking him to leave the table or all sorts of things. I'm summarizing. And he was very upset about that. But the solution for the school was that any situation that was not comfortable for my son, they would move my son. I call it move the Jew. I mean, it was just appalling to me that none of it dealt with treating the anti-Semites or the bullies. It had it all was based around that my son, this Jewish kid, had to move. So I was very upset. And I said, you know, why don't you address the bullies? Why don't you address the anti-Semites? Well, you know, the, the principal said we have we have some uh we have some um, field trips we need to go on. We'll work. We'll get to it next week. And it was just this slow, weird, non-responsive behavior from the school. And this is where we got very, very upset and, and ultimately took him out of the school because mm-hmm. we felt that they were not doing anything to keep our son safe. And we felt that they also weren't doing anything to address the bullies and the, and the anti, anti-Semitism. I mean, it was like a, every point of contact you could have with the school, they seemed to be botching in our view. And, and it was deeply upsetting. And then uh, was your and we're talking with uh, Andrew Goldberg. I just linked to this uh, article in Newsweek on my Facebook page. If you want to check it out, facebook.com slash Morano fan. When you uh, talk with the school and tried to get this resolved and it was not resolved, was there uh, was your son treated any differently by other people other than the bully as far as uh, as far as their interactions with him, other children or I don't know, maybe even other other adults? 
So it's interesting. You know, this is a thing that happens, and I think it happens more with, I, I think it happens with all racism and bigotry, but it particularly seems to happen a lot with Jews. And we can get into why later in the conversation or now if you want. Mm-hmm. But there's a, there's a sort of a trend, which is that when Jews speak up about, about anti-Semitism, they're somehow viewed as a problem. I don't quite understand what that is, and I'm not formally accusing the school of doing that. But what I will say is there was, a, there was another family in town that wrote us a very unpleasant text. And he, he said to he said to me, uh, I can't believe what you're doing to this other family that you're calling them Nazis. I never called them Nazis at all. Uh, but uh, uh, they're not Nazis. <laughs> there was this very strange text. And now nobody wants to be around your son because of how you're treating this other family. So in other words, in the retelling of the story, we were the villains. Mm. Our son was bullied. Our son was subjected to anti-Semitism. But as the word spread throughout the town, my son's phone stopped ringing. The kids stopped calling him. Uh, the he basically lost his friends. Uh, that's what you get for speaking up about anti-Semitism. And this to us shows, you know, further failure by the schools to handle the situation. But now with other parents, we are we are the bad ones. And think about how that works. Your son is bullied. You speak up about it. And as a result of speaking up about the, the anti-Semitism and the bullying, you're dropped by the other by the other parents in town turn against you and other students turn against your son. He went to the YMCA to play and a bunch of the students saw him. They all hushed his name and ran away from him as quickly as possible. So he becomes a pariah, a little 12 year old. And it was devastating for him. It was totally devastating for him. And it was hard for us as parents. Oh, sure. I can imagine. If people just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Andrew, Gold- Andrew Goldberg, Emmy Award winning producer and uh, the father of a, a 12-year-old who was the uh, victim of anti-Semitic bullying, only to have the whole family be uh, sort of re-victimized by the school. So, Andrew, you alluded to an offer of money coming from the school to your family. We'll just clarify that. What happened exactly? Well, everybody told us to school and, and aggressively, and, and at that stage in the game, we did not want to. We wanted this to go away and to end and to be resolved. We were very unhappy with how everything had been handled. We said to the school, "Listen, we want to send our son to private school. He'll probably be there through high school, which would be six years. Would you consider giving us two years of money to cover? Because there was no way he was going to go back at this point. There was simply no way." And they said, well, we'll give you one, what amounted to roughly one year, but you have to agree to never tell anybody that anything, any of this even happened. And I said, well, of course, we'll keep the settlement secret because settlements are always secret. And they said, no, 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 no. You need to keep everything secret. I said, well, you can't keep a secret about anti-Semitism, especially now that we, Israel was just attacked. You're asking us to be silent as Jews about anti-Semitism. And I told our lawyer we cannot be kept silent as as Jews. I, I gave him that language. I'm assuming, I don't know what he said, but I'm assuming he said it. I asked him to. And the message came back, no, we will not give you any money unless you sign a confidentiality agreement that even your own son cannot speak about it. And I was so appalled and offended that they would ask a Jewish family to not speak about anti-Semitism that I turned their money down. Wow, that is something. Um, so you got essentially nothing financially from nothing. the school. Nothing, wow. nothing. And they've gone on to make statements. They've made comments that, that my Newsweek article wasn't accurate. My Newsweek article was vetted by everybody. It, it is so incredibly accurate. That, I mean, I would attempt there. I would view it as they're attempting to, 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 uh, to uh, you know, disparage me or diminish my credibility. I'm a journalist for 25 years. I, you know, I'm very, very careful about what I say. And we speak, you know, we choose, we choose our words very carefully to speak as, you know, as truthful as we absolutely can. And, and, and we stand firmly behind everything that happened. And we're deeply disappointed. And, it was hush money. They tried to buy our silence. And that was just too much for me. 
I, I guess, Andrew, a lot of folks are going to say 12-year-olds will be 12-year-olds. Boys especially will be boys. In your view, when does the line get crossed from youthful hijinks and playful teasing to bullying? And when does the line then again get crossed from bullying to systemic anti-Semitism? So you raise excellent points. And, and my, my, my wife was a, was a teacher for many, many years. She, mm. she is a teacher and will continue to teach, but she's staying home now to raise our kids. And she spoke at the, at, the, at, the, uh, at the school board meeting recently. And what she said was, we know that you can't necessarily control these children. OK, we know that. And especially at this age, it's age, it's it's at age 12 and 13 and, and this adolescence or preadolescence where the kids start to challenge their boundaries. They say the wrong thing. They think it's funny. A lot of them, I think, don't even understand the magnitude of what they're saying. I accept that. What I don't accept is that, number one, the school system, the school system has such bad and, and, and poorly planned uh, reaction uh, ability to react to this and respond. They have such a weak arsenal in their toolkit, number one, to respond, but even more so that they don't have any systems in place to address this. When I grew up, I'm 55 years old, so when I grew up in the 70s and 80s, if someone did that to you, you could hit them. Mm. And th- th- that's not allowed anymore. You hit someone and, and it's game over. So basically, the children children don't get in fistfights anymore. They have to basically just sort of take it. And this is what sort of forces us as parents to then say, well, look, we're not going to encourage our children to fight. That's old school. We're going to ch- encourage our children to not be victims, to stand up, to speak out. Let's go to the school and talk to the school. And you get to the school and they have nothing. They have no tools in their arsenal. The tools that they have are unsophisticated. They're not thought through. They're reactive and they're bad. Now, your question, when does it cross the line? I, you know, that's a very good question. I, a lot of children, uh, uh, I hate to say it, and I don't, you know, I don't like talking about this, kill themselves mm-hmm. from this kind of bullying. And it's a tragic, horrifying thing. I did not want to go down that path with, with our son. And when I saw that the school was doing so little to protect him, we pulled him out. You know, I was told about a student, an African-American student who was being mistreated with, with racism in, a, in another town. And the safety plan they had for him that was, was that he could go sit in the hall alone. Now, that to me is a complete ca- catastrophic response to racism. I would argue that how our son was treated here was not that different. He could go to a different lunch table. If he was scared, he could go see a teacher. But ultimately, all it is is move this Jewish kid around the school. And ultimately, the school offered us money. Are they, they, we asked for it, but they were willing to give us money for him to leave. That is such a failure, a systemic failure at every level of the, of the, of the game. And again, kids act this way. We need the schools to come in and protect them and to, be, you know, and to create a system where they're going to be safe. So in terms of lessons for other school administrators, other principals, other teachers, other parents that may find themselves dealing with an issue like this in the future, whether it's anti-Semitic in nature or not, maybe a child's bullied because they're black or Asian or uh, or short or tall or heavy or or skinny, whatever the case may be. What suggestions would you have for how schools and maybe even how parents, given the current dynamics in the era in which we live, can handle this? Well, this is you raise another excellent point. I'm in a situation where I'm able to pay for my son to go to a private school. We're not a wealthy family, but my son's safety is something that I was I was able to come up with the money to put him in a wealthy. We're not wealthy to put him in a school that was that that had it's not that expensive, but it is a private school. A lot of people don't have that opportunity. They don't have that ability and they rely on the schools. They count on the schools to be able to protect their kids. And this is something where I think we need to see 
legislation or pushing or fighting. And I'm not talking about far left politics here. I'm talking about simple programs and systems to keep children safe. When you when you type in bullying and suicide into Google, you will get a horrifying number of stories that if you read the first one, it will break your heart. By the time you get to the third one, you want to tear your skin off. It is terrifying. This, this is, it's, it's, it's a serious problem. Then you add to that the racial component, in our case being Jewish and the anti-Semitism. We have kids, uh, family members that were killed in the Holocaust. So now you're not just traumatizing my son, you're traumatizing a whole family. I mean, this is some dangerous stuff. The trouble is that when you speak up, Everyone turns against you. It would be it would be such a nice thing if you were to speak up about racism or, or, or anti-Semitism and everyone came to your rescue. Now you speak up and you see the friends drop the friends. And this is a very complicated place that I think we have a long way to go. And I do not would not claim to have all the answers. A lot of people congratulated me. I wrote an article in Newsweek. Millions of people saw it because it ended up on Morning Joe. And in, now it's on ABC with you and we're going to be all over the country. Well, you know, people said, thank you for standing up. And a lot of people said, I don't have the guts to do that myself. I'm scared to do it. Other parents in town called us and said, my son experienced anti-Semitism, too, but I don't want to draw attention to it because I'm afraid of the backlash right. that you went through. So what do we do about that? I don't know. Uh, let me ask you this. Why the Jews? Why does it seem that uh, throughout so many different aspects of history, Jewish people are scapegoated for the world's problems or individual problems? You know, a, a lot of times we'll have people that will call this radio show that will sound relatively intelligent. They'll be making a point here or there about whatever. Sometimes it will delve into conspiracy theory areas, but then they will kind of make a left turn towards, oh, and that's because the heads of every major media corporation are Jewish or uh, what do so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so have in common? Oh, it's that they're all Jewish. And I'm just amazed that there's so much Jew hatred out there. Why the Jews? You know, you raise <laughs> these are these are these are the questions for the ages. So as, as your viewers may or may not, your listeners may or may not know, uh, anti-Semitism is something I've studied for many years, having done two PBS specials about anti-Semitism, uh, including one that aired two years ago about anti-Semitism in four different countries. And you find that people come to it in a lot of different ways. It, it's, it's, it's taught in a lot of different sort of outlets, whether it's, it's certain parts of the media, ultimately in the home and ultimately in, in, in a lot of the religious institutions. But we believe, those of us who sort of work in the field, that the beginning of this conversation, the beginning of where anti-Semitism starts is thousands of years ago with the idea, the biblical idea that the Jews are accused of, of being the ones who kill Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, now the Jews, the, there were a group of Jews in the Bible who called for his, in the Bible, they say, let his blood be upon us, et cetera, et cetera. You can treat that as, you know, an old story or what have you. Or you can do what a lot of Europeans did over the years, is they taught that the Jews were evil, the Jews were with Satan, the Jews were the killers of God. That idea has stuck, and it has stuck and traced century after century, being rewritten in thousands of different forms until it comes now today, and people don't even realize it. People don't even know they're doing it. You know, you make a comment in a, in a, in a grocery store, you know, when, when they say that, you know, oh, oh, this item is $18 or, you know, this bottle of wine is $18 and I thought it was only 14 And you say to the – you'll hear someone say to the checkout clerk, oh, you're trying to Jew me down. These are old ideas that have been, you know, Jew me down, Jews and money and all these, you know, old ancient ideas. Now, the kid that was teasing my son, I don't think he's thinking about any of that. I think he was ignorant and he's a child and he probably heard someone say it and he saw some of it on South Park. 
But this is a big, complicated question. I do not believe, and this is a very important thing, that anti-Semitism and the mistreatment of Jews is because there is an existence of a state of Israel. And this is something that a lot of people like to do, is say, well, Jews would be treated better if Israel would behave better. Not so. The Jews were mistreated to the point where they were, six million of them were killed and there was no state of Israel. So we see the greatest anti-Semitism before the creation of the state of Israel. So I can talk about this for hours and would be glad to if if you'd like to. (laughs) Well, you'll you'll have to come back. Uh, We're we're not going to have hours today, but uh, something tells me this is an issue that's not going anywhere. Uh, By the way, the film that you talked about was called Viral, which uh, was uh, an award-winning piece looking at anti-Semitism all over the place. It's called Viral, Anti-Semitism in Four Mutations. Are people able to see that anywhere these days? Andrew? They are. I believe it's on uh, uh, Prime, uh, Amazon Prime. I think it's also on uh, Apple uh, iTunes. And I, and I know you can get it on PBS. It was a PBS special, national big PBS special. You can get it on Passport. And if you really want to see it, you can track me down online and I'll get you a copy of it. <laughs> so you mentioned what's happening in Israel now. One of the things that I, I do see from time to time is that criticism of the Israeli government or criticism of the Netanyahu government specifically, especially when it's done from uh, Gentiles, is often kind of brushed aside as just more anti-Semitism. You'd agree, right, that you can be critical of the decisions of the Israeli government, whether it's on domestic policy with the uh, Supreme Court thing, which was very controversial, or even on foreign policy, and not be anti-Semitic, right? I think that Israel deserves criticism. It deserves. I'll tell you how much it, criticism Israel deserves. It deserves exactly as much criticism as any other country. Mm-hmm. What it doesn't deserve is less criticism than any other country, and what it certainly doesn't deserve is an disproportionately more criticism than any other country. Now, I would argue that Israel gets more criticism and more eyeballs on it than any other country by far, and that any any action that Israel takes is looked at by 50 microscopes rather than one. Okay, fair enough. Even, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's entirely fair that Israel is looked at with, with so much more criticism than any, every other country does, and I would argue that a lot of that might have to do with the fact that it's a Jewish country. But I think that Israel deserves criticism. I think Israel fails in many ways. I think it succeeds in others. And for those failures, Israel should be held accountable. But I will say this. When it comes to talking about Israel, we have to think about the language that we use. You know, this is a sensitive place. It's a sensitive subject with a people that have been subjected to a lot of mistreatment. So let's pick our words carefully. Let's not throw, let's not blur the idea of a Jew and an Israeli, a Jew and an Israeli government. You know, when something happens in Africa, people don't pick on African-Americans. What would the two have to do with each other? When something happens in, in China, when people in America were picked on for COVID, that was outright racism against mm. Asians. What what was said and what was done. We have to be careful and choose our language carefully. But Israel deserves criticism because Israel makes mistakes like any other country does. Andrew, unfortunately, we'll have to end the conversation there. I hope you'll come back. Best of luck with your son and all your other work. I appreciate the time this morning. Thank you so much for having me. Andrew Goldberg, if you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight.